Well, thanks for coming together, guys. Uh, thanks for uh, uh, talking. Um, I'd love to just start with some introductions. So um, I'm obviously uh, David Smith, um, a priest at Church of the Resurrection in Flower Mound, Texas. And um, I uh, have training in Bible and theology and have uh, worked uh, regular jobs in the past, but uh, that's obviously not my vocation. Um, love to think about what, you know, how theology how our faith uh, is applicable in everyday life, right? And um, just would love to talk about that. And also really respect uh, you guys. Um, Luke, I know really well. Dean, I know really well. Nathaniel, I hope to get to know you even better. Um, and I'm excited to hear kind of the, the wisdom and insight you guys have from your experience. So just wanted to get us all together in one room and uh, and talk about it. So I'd love to start. Um, Luke, let's start with you, brother. Um, you and I got to meet. And, and spend the most of our time together when we were interns together uh, yeah. at a different church. But um, kind of let me know like your, your, your faith background in like 30 seconds and then yeah. quickly transition into like your, your vocation, your work. And what is your work? What does that look like? And has it looked like for the past 10 years for you? Definitely. Um, yeah. So my, uh, my faith background um, was uh, primarily in the Bible church um, kind of over in Lake Highlands um dad um i mean he was in seminary before i was in existence uh and is still working at the seminary and so i had just grown up around um a lot of the guys from dallas seminary and um i think it it was not only how smart they were which is a bonus but it was it was how godly they were and the way that they loved my dad and my family and um and so that just had a big impact on how i understood what the faith was in general. And so I had, I had always kind of since um, a younger age, uh, kind of junior high, um, I had always kind of had a hook towards uh, ministry and toward whatever it came to what I want to do. Um, I just, I, I felt like whatever was going on in my life, ministry was always kind of the tendency that I had. And so um, mm. anyway, so grew up that. And then um, it was in college, uh, started attending the village church. And that's really when the Lord, um, really started to work on me and where there was a love for um preaching the gospel and living that out and discipling uh students <clears throat> and then went to seminary um and then um from there have gone to uh, northwest bible church which was phenomenal and then have been at northway which is a village church plant um for the last five ten years and so um anyway on the work front it was uh starting with uh high school ministry and i just remember um i would have the kids on a sunday morning or a wednesday night and they would act the typical way that students do um sometimes <laughs> engaged sometimes not engaged sometimes honest sometimes not um and then on the side um had always kind of wanted to do woodworking my um i grew up kind of working on the farm uh on all my summers up in illinois uh my grandpa and then um he when it wasn't time for the harvest and working the land it was building houses and so i at least had those categories in my mind of a very godly man who spends his vocation farming and building working with his hands um but still like really loved his family really loved his community um mm. and so i think that even though at the time i was just a punk little kid growing up but it it forged something in me that was always kind of the paradigm of what a, a godly man was so you kind of had like you, you kind of had this um uh presence of people in your life that you knew were in like spiritual 
um, positions in right. seminaries and churches and stuff that were godly, but then there was also this person in your life that was in a um, not spiritual way of life, vocation or whatever, but who clearly had a, a, a strong faith and it affected the way they lived oh, it out. 100%. I mean, he was like the elder, of, like the lead elder of the church, of the town, like of, of all of those things. And he did all the things a pastor would do. He would do house calls. He would randomly mow like an entire block's lawn just for fun <laughs> and like play with the kids. And so anyway, um, so that just, that, that was in the back of my mind. So fast forwarding, I'm in seminary and I'm, I, I'm loving what I'm learning, but I needed like a, like a thing. Cause at the end of the day, I would have read a lot, written a lot, talked to people a lot, listened to people a lot. And then that was, that was it. And there was just, I think a part of me that had a, a creative side and artistic side, but even I think just the, like, I just want to work physically. Like my body just needs to work. Right. And so, um, my wife and I had, um, designed, uh, a couple of things, nothing, you know, I mean, it was insignificant and clearly a hobby. And then, um, some friends of ours, um, had a pushpin travel map, um, at their house. And we had just had one of those conversations that was just life-giving and amazing. We were there at like two for coffee and it was like three in the morning before we left. And it was because we were talking about all of these places that we had been and that they had been and how God had worked through all of those trips. And so we left and we're like, we need to get one of these maps. And my wife was just like, there's no way I would ever put that thing in my house because it was so ugly and so we're like let's design one so we designed one and built one and some <laughs> super crunchy friends of ours from colorado were like bro you need to put that on etsy and this was before anybody knew what etsy was and so so they're like put it on etsy right. like you should shut up that's the dumbest thing i've ever heard and so eventually we put it up on etsy to shut them up that was literally the reason and they were like okay we're gonna see what happens we left for a weekend and then came back and had sold like 20 of them and we're like we don't know what to do. So we messaged everybody like, hey, we don't know what we're doing. We just did this to set some friends up. Um, we don't have boxes to ship it. We don't know. Like, I don't even have, I don't even think I have all the tools. I couldn't, I couldn't tell you anything. And all of them responded with, that's fine. We'll just wait. And we're like, think. We have no, I meant, like, I'm going to cancel your order. <laughs> right. I, like I told him, I was like, as soon as I find out how to refund your money, I will, <laughs> I will figure it out. And they all just wanted to wait. And so we're like, okay, she's working at a charter school. I'm a youth pastor. And this like little chunk of money came in. We're like, well, there's no deadline. Let's figure it out. And so we just kept making it and then never took the link down. And so it was more and more. And then we diversified the maps. And then eventually we launched, um, um, wooden keepsake, uh, laser engraved wooden keepsake boxes. Um, and that grew into a whole thing. And right kind of at that time where it was becoming serious, we were still doing youth ministry and loving it, but I would get these students on the Sundays and Wednesdays and they would be in my shop. And really it was free labor for a little bit and just like a general discipling opportunity. And those kids would come in and they were totally different kids. And it wasn't like everything's fine. I'm so excited to be captain of the whatever team. Um, but, but I mean, these kids would be in tears talking about whether it struggles with, you know, suicidal ideation, um, their parents' divorce, how they just wish their dad like saw them and loved them as much as their other sibling or whatever it was. 
a yeah. general feeling of loneliness. Kids wanting to get drunk at 12 just so that they could see what it, like so they could just escape the pain that they're dealing with because their mom just died of cancer. Stuff that never would have come up on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday when everyone's like pretending everything's fine. Right. And, and it was in those moments a very different type of discipleship started to begin and a different love for, or a love for a new kind of discipleship really started. Um, because you'd have time together to work, so a thing to look at at the end of the day and be proud of. But then there was just all of these organic moments for conversations that, again, never would have, um, never would have happened. And so, anyway, my contract with the uh, the church I was working with ended. Or it got it got completed, and it was uh, coincided with graduation. And then it was like, well, this is that thing what it's has... called being fired? I'm sorry. <laughs> Is that what it's called when you get fired? My contract. <laughs> my contract fired. ended. If you don't sign the, like an end date at the beginning, yes, it is. Or the encouragement to search elsewhere. Let's agree now that I'm going to get fired in two years. Okay. Right. No, they're just your contract delayed. Hold on, I need another beer after that one. Right, but it was like during these these years, you'll do youth ministry, and then after that, there's no obligation. Though, if it goes well, we'd love you to continue. Um, and so anyway, we uh the business had grown to where it was like not just full-time but like we needed employees at this point we had a studio manager um i had two apprentices working in the shop um one of them was from the church and one was from the seminary um and so that just kind of spiraled into this woodworking business um where it was like it was it was a business fully but it was like lord how do i like leverage this for ministry and think, so it was just, you know, let me interject. Let me let me interject and just say, like, I just because I knew you when this was like, you were on the back yes. end. Of it had already, it, it had already like become something. Yeah. And you were you end you, you left Northwest Bible, you know. Yeah. Because your contract ended, we'll call it that. And <laughs> uh, we're just we're just playing with you. Um, and so you you know we were we were part time at a church and you yeah. were you went you were all in i yeah. mean you were seminary graduated uh you know masters of theology you had ministry experience but then you were like i remember you saying like yeah i was up till 4 a.m making i have an order for 50 boxes for a right for, you know you're just grinding out for Right, yeah. Massive woodworking projects. So well, like, and then there was a couple of times I just abducted you and was like, bro, we need help. And you're like, I, I would love to see what this is like. And I'm yeah, I got to go put you to work. Yeah, so, but so, and you know, you and you ended up getting your own space and all the tools. So for you, like it really came to a point where um, you were a full-time craftsman woodworker. Yeah. Um, and had to figure out, and, and for you, like it, it wasn't just um it wasn't just out of necessity it was like out of a love for how it uh how you experienced it right i mean it, oh, it was 100%. what you just described and your experience with those students is for them but then for you i remember just the way you talked about it um give me like you know maybe your 32nd i guess what what made you fall in love with doing woodworking maybe you can't do that in 30 seconds but like no no um like what made you go like i can i actually this isn't just a hobby like i can actually do this um i mean it was it it would be after a week of 70 to 80 hours making 
a variety, like relatively the same type of product, but a ton of just a ton of them right. uh, with small variations. Um, where my love for the craft only grew, my love mm. for the art as uh, just in general grew. Um, and it was, there may have been days that it was hard, but it was, I never dreaded it. Mm. And that seemed odd yeah. when in comparison to be like, I've made thousands of these and I still am just like in, I'm just humbled by how beautiful some of this stuff was. And I think a lot of it also was meditative. And I think that there was a very, mm. um, a question that constantly was in the back of my mind um, and was kind of one of the regular prayers that I would have, whether it was good days or bad days, custom projects, classes, or or just kind of the regular production um, was like, I don't, I don't know how else to put it. When I read guys who were martyrs and they talk about how they were thankful that they were deemed worthy to die for their faith. Mm. Um, when I, as a woodworker, was making all of these things and, and, and the grind of bills and glue and logistics, it was like, Lord, you were a craftsman. And so mm. like, it's an honor to, to have an opportunity to do something that in some small way allows me to understand maybe what your day-to-day -day would have been like. And whether that's a, you know, Lord, you created everything and that like, this is good. It is finished, mm -hmm. that feeling. Or if it's like whatever species of wood it was that he was hung on, like he had worked with that species of wood. So like for me, if someone throws me a piece of cedar, not a problem. Sucker's light's gonna float. You throw a big old piece of oak, it's like, bro, we gotta we got some work to do. Like he would have known exactly what it was, not just because he literally created and sustains everything, but there's the like his day-to-day -day job was working with a mixture, yes, of wood and stone and all sorts of stuff. Because as a woodworker, it's not just wood, it's steel, it's machines, it's there's a whole science and craft behind it all. But it was um it was a mixture of it was an honor, it was humbling. In a weird way, I felt like um it brought me closer to him. Um anyway, but yeah, there was there was all of that experience. There was the, this is a, not just a love that I have, but it, it is a legitimate good, like provided mm -hmm. in the world. Um, yeah. There's like productivity but, happening, not just right. like in your brain. Right. Like I want you to be comforted. Yes. But like sometimes words don't work. And so being able to hand you something that mm -hmm. honors the whatever can yep. be even more powerful. And so I'll share one story and then I'm done. I think what, what kind of hooked me in in a way that I did not expect was we had these custom engraved keepsake boxes and there was, you know, a couple orders on the bench and I just put the boxes and then the lids to make sure I had all the orders correct. I didn't even think about it, but I stood back and I was counting them, but I saw that one was uh, for, to, for a newborn. One was for a stillborn. One was for a confirmation. One was for a baptism. One was for a, um engagement one was for a wedding one was for a five-year anniversary which is wood one was for a 50-year anniversary one was for a retirement and two were uh, for a couple who both had passed away um from old age but it was like i thought i was just making boxes like glorified shoe boxes for these travels that people were going on and it was like 
these are all some of the most significant moments in anybody's life. Mm -hmm. And so it was just, it, it was at that moment where it was like this, this love for woodworking was a way to serve and elevate and kind of um, honor and help others cherish anything from the greatest day in their life to um, mm -hmm. losing a little one. Um, what, you just, so that, what, you, what you just described sounds to me like, like holy relics and kind of the, the, the sanctification of like, you don't just store holy things in common containers. We right. have, we have set apart sanctified containers for, for holy things. And right. um, there's a, that's a shadow of, or it's it's an image of what in our everyday lives we do the same thing. Like, oh, I got to put this in a special place. Like, we're saying this is special, and you're making something special right. in your woodworking. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Cool. Well, that's awesome. Well, thanks for thanks for sharing that. Yeah, it's really cool to see how um, where you've come and just what kind of got you hooked into um, manual labor. I mean, <laughs> craftsmanship, yeah. kind of all. You yeah. Know. And yeah. then obviously, we haven't even touched on the fact that you're now helping. You're doing some education and and you're back into like a a ministerial type role but you're still doing your you're teaching and you're doing woodworking and running all that so i'm sure we'll get into that at some point but that's really cool yeah. so nathaniel um would love to hear your story um you you also um are a tradesperson you have um uh, uh a long uh, story of following the Lord and your own kind of journey. So tell us your own kind of spiritual biography in, in a few minutes and, and how did you, how did you navigate? I know that you said you, you kind of started off thinking you were going to go into ministry. That was a big deal for you, like vocational ministry. And there was a switch and for the last 10 years you've been working in the trade. So uh, tell us your story. Yeah. Well, I, um, I was born in Southern California I was born on a Saturday and the, I wasn't in church the next day, but I was in church the following Sunday. So um, like Jesus, I was presented in the church on the eighth on day. The eighth day. Uh, right. Yeah. Maybe. Which I, which I, you know, I, I just love. Was there a woman there to send so, a prophecy over you? There wasn't. So okay. that's where the comparison that's ends. Yeah, totally. It, I don't think that anybody even, thought about that at the church they opened a scroll or something right like in his presence this has been fulfilled right and uh they, there was a sacrificial lamb at the church that, that there wasn't that's a joke um but uh yeah so i was so i my whole life i, I there's not a moment that i that i have not known jesus um I, I was i was raised in the church and um have with a couple exceptions, a couple, a couple, you know, prodigal like moments of wandering. Um, my, my, my whole life I've known the God that's revealed to us in Jesus. And I um, grew up in primarily non-denominational and, and Baptist churches. When we, um, we moved to, from Southern California to Texas, and at that time, uh, I went to a big non-denominational church in the North Dallas area. I went to Chuck Swindoll's church in, in Frisco, which is called Stonebriar Community. And that's where I spent seven years of my spiritual development. And then when I would go back to California for summer vacation, we would go to my grandparents' church, which was a Calvary Chapel. And so when I moved back to California after high school graduation, 
I already sort of had like a built-in community that was that was there, not waiting for me exactly, but waiting for me. I was able to go back immediately, plug in. I had you know a church family that I that I belonged to, friends that I had spent years of summers uh, getting to know, and um, through Calvary Chapel, I uh, really felt. Not that I didn't already love the Bible, but Calvary Chapel has a particular gift in in um, teaching and reading Scripture, Genesis to Revelation, year after year after year after year, and which, as a now Anglican, feels very familiar. And I think that's maybe part of part of why I, I like uh, the Anglican tradition so much is because it's sort of like a a a filled out version of what I what I was introduced to with Calvary. But um, I went to Calvary Chapel School of Ministry, which was their pastoral training program. It was a two-year school and uh, did that from 2009 to 2011 and thought for sure that I was going to like do some interviews and become a pastor somewhere. And uh, that didn't happen. Um, I did go through, I had a couple of interviews, but nothing was really clicking um with with any of the pastors that i was interviewing with um and at the time i was working at disneyland actually in anaheim and uh was not a tradesperson. i was not a handy individual by any stretch of the imagination my dad is a tradesman he spent has spent his entire professional career in the garage door and gate um industry and my grandpa, his dad, was a tradesman, telecommunications and, and power. Um, my great-grandpa was a, was a welder. Um, two of my uncles are tradesmen. I mean, like, it's like blue-collar work was in my blood. Right. I just wanted nothing to do with it. It just didn't right. interest me. I, right. I'd had no – I wasn't like, oh, my family did it, and I'm going to you know, not do it because they did. It was just like – my dad would try to get me in the garage and teach me how to like, this is how you drive a nail. And I was like, can you do that in my head, please? Uh, <laughs> because this is terrible. And so I completely just like shunted the, the whole trades thing. And so back to, work, to my, the timeline. So I'm not nailing uh -huh, these interviews uh, for being a pastor. And but um, you're welcome. Yes. And uh, I was like, man, I don't know what I'm going to do. So I was almost we were my wife and I were dating at the time. We were talking about getting married and having a family. And I was like, well, I make ten dollars an hour at Disneyland and we're not <laughs> going to get much of anywhere doing that. Uh, so I found uh, got into another job. Long story short, that was only 18 months of my life a terrible 18 months, but it was 18 months. And at the end of that, because it was so horrible, it got me wondering, is there something else that I can do that doesn't require a college education because I have my high school diploma, but that's it. And, and this, this like certificate of completing a pastoral training program that is not recognized by like any major denomination anywhere. And so it doesn't do me any good. So what am I going to do? And I had a carpentry apprenticeship lined up. A buddy of mine was a heavy machinery operator. And he was like, oh, I'll talk to my foreman. And I know we've been looking for some guys. I was like, awesome. I'll take it, anything. So I went to the union hall, got my paperwork, showed up. 
and knocked on the bungalow door and the foreman was like, Hey, are you Nathaniel? And I was like, yes, sir. I am. And he was like, awesome. Thanks for coming here. Um, can you drive a nail? That would have been <laughs> full circle. Fact, I cannot, uh, didn't even get the, uh, the opportunity to tell him my disdain for nail driving, uh, because he told me that he didn't need me, um, before I could really even tell him my name. Thanks so, for showing up. See you later. Exactly. So I got back into my truck and cried on my way back to the office and was like, <laughs> I can't do this anymore. I can't do this, this terrible, terrible work for these terrible people. I was in property management, working customer service at like a high end luxury complex. And it was just, it was miserable. And so I told our, my, our missions pastor at my church, who was a, a, a good friend of mine. I was like, dude, I, I can't, I just, I, I'm, I'm done where I'm at. It's the, the pastoring thing doesn't look like it's in the cards for me right now. Why? I'm not sure what to do. And he's like, dude, why didn't you tell me you're trying to get into the trades? I was like, I, I didn't know I was supposed to like, what, what do you mean? And he goes, uh, we got a guy that goes here that owns his own plumbing company and, um, he's always looking for help. And I was like, well, hook it up, bro. So I ended up, uh, getting his number, talking to him. Um, and at the same time, in that same like couple week span, I had another interview with another pastor uh, for a college uh, a college pastor role. He was getting older and was going to retire and wanted to like bring somebody in to 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 ultimately take take over the church so he could retire. And um, I had the plumbing company owner and that pastor both called me within 20 minutes to offer me a job wow. um, of each other. So not of the interviews, but like on the day that I got the one call, I got the other, they were like, that's crazy. And so I was like, kind of upset. Actually. I was like, <laughs> yeah, of course, heck, God, like why you were supposed to shut just... one door. Right. Yeah. Like, why you gotta, why do you have to make me discern things, Lord? Like, what's that about? And, uh, gosh, it's unfair. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Flip the tables, punch my cat. Like, no. So <laughs> as I, one does. Yes. Yeah, right. Yeah. Am I abusive? I don't know. So I was like, okay, the, the, there's an obvious difference between these two roles. And one of the main differences is that if I were to go into a season of ministry and that season were to end, what am I going to do? Go back to a $10 or $12 an hour customer service job. And I, at this point now I am married and I, I do have one child and I was like, I can't, I can't go back. I can't make less money. So, right. and, and the church was only going to be able to pay me half time. So oh, yeah. I was like, even though this is everything that I have wanted and have prayed for, and I do discern a, a, a sense of God's call into pastoral ministry, but it's just, it, the, the timing just isn't lining up, isn't lining up. And so the plumbing gig seemed like the wiser decision of the two, uh, which isn't to say that God wouldn't have been with me had I chosen the pastorate. It just didn't, I, I felt like I had to, to, forego that um in order to actually love my wife well and, yeah. and to love my children and um i'm so thankful that i made that choice because it's been 
just an absolute incredible blessing of of a decade in this trade and um and and going into it sort of and i i we're gonna get background to this but what sort of when i when i went into it i was like god if i if i can't be a pastor now then through this through this plumbing help make me the kind of person that can one day be a pastor in your church um and here i am discovering that he has answered that prayer and i'm very thankful for that that's awesome well um after 10 years of of plumbing um how long have you been doing woodworking luke now has it been since uh, 16 um so it's been 12 years 12 years now oh so before that Mm -hmm. um way before so we were already full-time by the time the the reason i joined the village was there was there was a passion for that kind of ministry um and so i just shoehorned it in but i was we were already full-time and rocking and rolling yeah so that's funny because i I, time just flies so it was actually 2015 16 and then 16 17 were the two two years that i was there so we were together 15 16 there so yeah you you had been going for a couple years at that point so you both are like a decade or more in the trades now um working on it so nate just uh real quick like the premise of of your you know recently you were published in christianity today um with an article on um faith and work and how that works together for you and can you give us like the premise of that article and um what uh what it is you were trying to get across and and why you think that's been uh, connected with so many people by the way yeah great great article uh, i thought it was well written and um people uh, people should go look at it oh well thanks man i i appreciate that i um i was exploring a one particular facet of the larger work and, and theology, a theology of work conversation, and that is in particular how manual labor and prayer coincide with one another, yeah. um, and if they can, how. Yeah. And so the the premise for me, what I try to articulate is that. First of all, Paul tells us to pray without ceasing, which right. the scriptures wouldn't tell us something if it wasn't if God hadn't made it possible in some way. And um, and if prayer is only me saying words to God, then there comes a time where I cease praying. And Paul says to pray without ceasing. So prayer has to be something more than me just saying words to God, which is, was my conception growing up of what prayer was is I, I say my prayers right. like that's it. And so it, so is prayer something beyond just like a monologue in a God word direction? Yeah. Cause it is, it is, it's at least that, but it's right. gotta be more than that. Right. Right. So, <clears throat> so the, the basic premise is when we are doing our, when I am doing my work for customers, God is, because Jesus said so, God is present in my customer receiving the labor as unto himself. Mm, and mm. so if God is present in my customers and I am in God's presence, rendering a service unto him, then what is that except prayer? Right. And therefore, my work, precisely because it is work, as long as I'm doing it with a disposition of heart in which I am recognizing God's presence in the face and the, the, the soul of the person in front of me, then that is actually prayer. Um, 
which I think is not something that I've seen articulated exactly like that. Not right. That, not that other people haven't thought about that before, but it just was sort of like a being able to, to track that through line from like physical right. labor, the right. presence of God in my customer. Right. I'm in God's presence. Therefore I'm praying. That was like, boom. Well, there's, there's, there's a couple of concepts tied up in what you just said that I want to press in on a little bit. And one, one of them that might be a little strange to us um, and t- to many of us is uh, the, uh, the concept of prayer as service to God as a work. Um, so like explain, uh, maybe give like a quick, uh, summary of what you mean by that. So when we, when we pray, um, there, there's one, uh, and by the way, anyone else jump in to help contribute thoughts to at at any point, I'm just trying to kick off that, that, that topic for sure. Yeah. Well, so there, there's a church of England priest, uh, named father Andrew. Um, he was a co-founder of a Franciscan, society called the Society of the Divine Compassion back in the late 1800s. And he defines prayer very simply, and this isn't his definition, but it's sort of his, his version of it. Prayer is the soul's approach to God. Mm. Like very simply, it is, it is a soul entering into God's presence in like a conscious way. And so if I pray if when I pray, I, I go into God's presence to offer him my sorrows, to offer him my wounds, to offer him my joys and my successes, there, there's this, if you break that down, you, there's this entering into God's presence and offering him something. Right. And so, and, a, and like I a priestly, could, there's like a priestly gesture where it's a service, a work unto God, uh, yeah. similar to like what we see in the liturgy. Yeah. And by virtue of our baptism, we are right. all priests, right? Yep. Like yep. we are, we are part of the priesthood of believers, uh, precisely by our baptism. And so to, to be, to enter into God's presence in that sort of, um, pre that priestly vocation that, that each believer has right. to offer our sacrifice, to render our service unto God. That if I can, if I can offer him a service of words and a service of, my heart, then I can also render unto him a service of my body as well. Right. And right. so I think that's what's underlying the idea there. That connects to something you're talking about, Luke, where um, um, you, you were making, you, it, it stuck out to you that like what you were doing had more significance when you realized what was going in these boxes, right? These keepsake boxes. It's not just like, wow. oh, we took our honeymoon to France. It's like, no, mm-hmm. my the, the mm-hmm. ashes of my stillborn child are going in this box yeah and yeah. you're you're as a craftsman offering um a really significant service to to people right yeah. and so like when you took when you put on that hat or when you, when you when you flipped that perspective like how did that change your way of going about the work i mean i think it gave me um i mean in a in some ways helped me understand um, the dignity and value and beauty of just creation. Mm-hmm. And I think yep. helped me understand what is happening in the incarnation even more into where it's not just um, an idea. It's not just a feeling, but that there is a, a work and God, you know, like when, when Jesus came, it wasn't, 
as a man says the stuff and then leaves, but that there is this act of going through the ministry for our mm -hmm. sake and taking the time to do it so that mm -hmm. we may understand. Um, mm -hmm. That was really beautiful. And, and it actually even helped me. One of my students, he was like, um, why isn't it that in the Lord of the Rings, why isn't it that they didn't just fly the eagles all the way there? Like, why didn't they just like the, then? Then it's done. One like, of the major plot holes that we never get answered. <laughs> right. Well, and so and and it was, it was it was having to sit in the the beauty of what God has done and how time is an ingredient and He makes it yes. temporal for our good. Yes. Mm -hmm. And That's that He doesn't factor. have to do it slowly. He can do it immediately. Exactly. Um, and. Yeah. I had recently read something. I don't even remember where it was, but it was talking about the beauty of um, friction in our lives and to our, to our convenience and efficiency is not the primary thing that we were made for. We were made to work and to glorify God. Mm -hmm. And so it's almost in that friction, in the work of Frodo, like doing mm -hmm. the act of taking it to Mount Doom, mm -hmm. that that is a good in and of itself. And for well, and that to is come a, down... Yeah. That is a service. Like I think the sacrifice. What you're talking about is friction. I would just say is is it parallels to sacrifice. Oh, hundred percent. The, the point is that mm -hmm. the service unto God is a sacrifice unto God. I'm not doing X so that I can do this with God. Mm -hmm. I'm not. Yeah, and it and it's a sacrifice. Yeah, right. We're, get, so we're like, getting. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead oh, no, Dean. I was going to say, and it 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 changed the way to where it's like what. What I am doing is not merely providing a product, but it, it is this act of work that is glorifying in um, Nathan, as you had mentioned before, and sure. then even mentioned in your article of kind of the, and I think in the back of all of our minds with this is just this aura at labora and toward yeah. this pray yeah. and work. And I'm sure we'll talk yeah. about it more later, but I think yeah. I had always wanted to be a monk. And then in God's <laughs> grace, similar to Nathan that you had mentioned towards like, the job that I thought that I always wanted, in fact, would have not been for my good. And the Lord provided a work for me that was for my good um, right. and and was an honor. Yeah, that's good. It's actually uh, leading us to some of the questions that we had posed in talking about the whole uh, biblical concept of work. And I think let's, uh, I'd like to camp on that a little bit. For sure. Kind of going back... Um, when I, we do some teaching about work and the in the work that I do, uh, we, we kind of go back and we're asking the question. It's kind of the basic question: Is work a good thing or is it a bad thing? Uh, right. Was it was it before the fall or after the fall that that God said to go and to work the ground to to cultivate it and and uh, it, it was a good thing, right? It, it happened be, before the fall. That was that. Yeah. So it's this word, um, and it's it's getting actually to, to what Nathaniel was saying. And I think it is so beautiful. Uh, and I'm not the Hebrew scholar, so jump in uh, and correct any heresies that might come <laughs> forth. That would be great at this moment. But it, it's so beautiful. But the Hebrew word is it abad? Abad. Is the word yeah. Abad is the word for work, but it, it is for to work, to serve, and is also interpreted as worship. This right. this idea of prayer. So when it, it's actually God's inviting us into this uh, partnership with him of cultivating or bringing forth goodness mm -hmm. as an act of worship in all that we are doing. Yeah. So it, it, that, that's, that's why it resonates with us when, when we create objects of beauty, when mm -hmm. we see some, uh, a project completed to the end, where mm -hmm. it's that, these aha moments of saying, yeah, I've partnered 
with with God, and, and it's it's a, an expression of worship. Yeah. And so I, I think it's really beautiful, and you guys yeah. are saying all of that without actually right. say, saying what I said. So it's awesome. well, I, that's so rich. I mean, and and the the priestly imagery that Nathaniel touched on in that article that you're you're bringing up here, Dean, in that creation story before the fall, God creates everything, and in the ancient Near Eastern cosmology. Um, these different cultures uh, think of like this, this garden temple, this maybe this, the, the, the world tree, there's all these different parallel um, mm -hmm. ancient Near Eastern uh, mythical accounts. But in, in the Garden of Eden, you have this temple um, in a, a garden temple that, that we mm -hmm. see uh, then replicated, or at least they try to restore through the tabernacle, through the worship of the church. But it, the, the garden temple is this resting place where God can be at peace and at home with his people. And the, the reason it, it's, it's, it's sort of an, uh, a backwards etiology is the word, but like, it's actually not because of the temple that the garden is described that way. It's because that's what God designed for the garden that the temple is then reconstructed that way. Mm. Like they're not trying to conceive of the beginning in terms of the temple that they know. God reveals the fact that in the beginning, it was so that he dwelled and rested with his people and the mm -hmm. people served him as priests in that garden temple. And there mm -hmm. was fundamentally peace and dwelling. Um, mm -hmm. And sorry, I'm getting into like preacher mode, but like, yeah, what you're talking about is fundamentally a, a, a priestly word mm -hmm. that serve mm -hmm. and work. And that's why worship comes up. Mm -hmm. Um, so uh, yeah, it, 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 it ties into like what you guys are talking about with offering yourself and your, your services to God. And well, we didn't I, even cut, go ahead. No, no, I was just gonna say, I think on, <clears throat> on that, that, that unity of worship and work, um, you know, the first time that the Holy Spirit indwells anybody is Oliab and Basilel and to where they are making the ark they are they're making furniture they're making a place for god to be himself like for him to be in himself and for us to worship and so like from the very get-go you're seeing this beautiful connection of work is a good thing yeah. and the yeah. thing is good and ultimately it blends perfectly nathan like you were saying um that it, it is it is a good and beautiful mm. thing and mm -hmm. is in and of itself an act of worship. There's so much there. Um, the, the, the third piece of, of Nathan's, uh, Nathaniel's, um, I'm going to get that right. I keep calling you Nathan. It's like Nate, Nathan, Nathaniel. Um, uh, Nathaniel's piece that we haven't even touched on is the, the, the linchpin is that the, the presence of God in the other person. So your service is offered to a person in whom whom God is sustaining it, it, through whom God is present through whom God is working. And it's your offer offering to that person that then is an offering to God. Um, I, I think that kind of derails us to go in that direction. I think that's something that we should probably hold on to and talk about at another time, but that's a, to really tease that out and to talk about um, the different passages from Christ and everything. I think that's a, mm -hmm. that's a really cool way to turn that argument, uh, Nathaniel. And anyway, this was this was all really good as a as a launching from Nathaniel's point. Oh, go ahead, Luke. I want to do one thing because it is not this often that I get to enjoy the company of uh, three well-read and well-trained um, <laughs> Anglican theologians. I I myself am a 
recovering Baptist. Uh, hey, you're an honorary I'm, Anglican, bro. You like you're basically. I mean, bring, I, the, no, bring, I know. bring the kids over next Sunday. We'll we'll bat. I can even dunk them if you want. Bro, I worked at the Incarnation for like a year and a half. So I like we're already do, like we've we've I got. I remember that. We've got a, anyway. All that to say, here's here's a connection that as a non. Uh, real Anglican, whatever. I would love to hear a little bit more on that. When when you are a priest, you are mm -hmm. doing a work that mm -hmm. connects people and God. Mm -hmm. um and obviously a unique way in the liturgy mm -hmm. um but you mentioned it briefly previously of that there's like a priestly almost a priestly act i don't know if i'm stretching that too much or if there's something there so just for someone who's not a reverend almost very you know, <laughs> almost reverend father in yes God. I, would, I would love to hear a little bit more on what that connection um is when it comes to how we understand when we are working um as a christian mm -hmm. out of our baptism towards someone who is made in god's image what is that act that the like the worker the tradesman the whoever is is doing yeah. so it's for i think that's for nathaniel right so the just to kind of reinterpret the question not only are you offering something to god through your through your service to that person in whom god dwells but you then are in a priestly fashion connecting them to god in you right like elaborate on that a little bit nathaniel like what's the what what's your perspective on that so this is something i haven't written about yet but th this is something else that i've i've done a lot of thinking on and um i think that to try to not get too verbose here i i think that the the way i would say it is this the eucharistic act right like a, a priest is known as a priest primarily um they, they are seen they are known most readily when they're in the context of the liturgy right like like priestly work like i if i see you father david in the sanctuary celebrating the eucharist i know like oh that guy's a priest right like it's immediately identifiable if we are a priesthood a holy priesthood then what what is our that what what is what is it mm. for us that we are offering to the world yeah. what is our eucharist right mm. and i think that um my argument would be this that our eucharist <laughs> is our work and and the like the act of our work itself and yeah. the way i get there is this Woo! Boy, the, the, preach. Let's boy, go. here we go here we go it's the work itself and here's why the 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 eucharistic act it, there's a fourfold movement in jesus's words when he talks of, when he at, at the last supper right he takes the bread blesses the bread breaks it and gives it right yeah. take bless break give taking so there's some there's something that's that's there's a material that is given to him he speaks a word of blessing over it or alternatively thanks the blessing thanking it's like there both words are used there mm -hmm. it's yeah. why where we get eucharist right eucharist right. Deo, the, the right. giving of thanks so he takes it he blesses it he breaks it right and breaking is not fundamentally an act of destruction it's an act of creation to share. Yeah. 
It's an act of creation. When Jesus broke the bread to feed the 5,000, right. he broke it and it was multiplied in its breaking. Right. It, it was, it Just was like a, his own body at the cross, by the way. It was a creative act that, right. that produced more, not that like destroyed and, and broke it down into smaller and smaller bits. Right. And so he breaks it and then he gives it to the people. And if you back up all the way to creation, God, I don't know if you can really even talk about it in this way exactly. Maybe this is heretical, but I'm going to go there. It, God, God takes the, Dirt. takes the stuff and he speaks a word over it and he breaks it. And by breaking it again, I don't mean destruction. I mean, creation. That it's separates. A, it's a, he, he separates it. And creates. Yeah. He, he orders it, right? He takes what has been what has become disordered, the chaos, the void. It was Toku and Voku, right? The yeah, Hebrew right, there. Right. It's like it was just complete utter mess. He yeah. takes the disorder and orders it, and then he gives it to Adam and Eve. Right. And so then Adam is told, now take take this that you, that I have made, take it and subdue the earth have yeah. control over over the create over the created order like do what i just did but like a thousand times more mm -hmm. and everywhere not yeah. just here but take the garden and make the garden everywhere that isn't currently the garden yeah. and so i think that our priestly role is our work because we take a task that we have been given we ask god's blessing over it we then do the thing we 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 break it which is to say we begin the process of creating we yeah. fashion it we order it and then we give it we give it to our customer we give it to our spouse we give it to our kids we give it to our neighbor and in their receiving of it now we we switch roles right because if we give something it has to be taken so then they take that into themselves and they thank god for it which is the word of blessing and on and on and on and on the right, right, right. Yeah. So, yeah, that's good. Um, there's so much we could say about that. Uh, Dean, I, I do want to kick it to you. And, and I know you've got uh, several prompts for us and, and things for us to, to be able to talk about um, in relation to faith and work. Uh, hey, we are already on the train. I mean, we're, we're moving along. So I, I know, know I know, I know. <laughs> we, we, uh, I, I think, uh, the, the, there's so many different rabbit shells we could trace. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I'll, I'll go back and listen, you know, and and uh, I'll try to write down um, different yeah. different little sub sub conversations that we can have for sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, gosh, I don't even know where to go from here. I, it's um, I really love the the way you outlined that, Nathaniel. See, I got it right the first time. I, I, I didn't struggle. <laughs> yeah, My, yeah. I, I've been listening. I've been learning. So. Uh, <laughs> But, but I love that fourfold thing. It's actually uh, extrapolated in, in the whole uh, Eucharistic service is fourfold. As we as we gather, we're in the word, we're over the table, and then we're, we're sent. And it's yeah. it's it's just really a beautiful uh, way of, of looking at work. And I love that that breaking, that creating, that that disorder to order, if you will, to, to distribute. I think that's that's just so so beautiful. Um it, how, how do you get, um, how do you, you know, it's great for people talking theology on something like this, but how do you get this kind of um, uh, energy and um, understanding? I guess we can go there just to the guy that sits next to us at the, 
at, at my workplace? How do we get him to understand or her to really see that the work that, that they're doing is a divine uh, gift and a, a divine offering in that way? Mm-hmm. Most most people don't see that. They, they see it as right. something we have to do and that retirement's just around the corner. So I hope my 401k is great. And so as we talk about these high and lofty uh, tenets of, of of work, how do you like bring it down to to ground level with with folks and help them really see the value and the dignity of the work that they're doing in this kind of picture that we offer? My, I I think you know in my, in my life as as I've done all kinds of different you know service industry jobs and you know. Uh, greenskeeping at a at a golf course, you know, and uh, stuff through high school, college, mm-hmm. whatever. I think really practically, I mean, it doesn't look like saying everything that we just said to that person while I'm mm-hmm. like, while I'm on the mower, right? Or like while I'm grilling at the restaurant. Mm-hmm. I, I actually think that it goes back to that word of blessing and, and, gra- and thanksgiving. And it's, it's mm-hmm. a spirit of gratitude. Mm-hmm. Um, for, for me, uh, one really practical way that the Christians work can differ from the non-Christians work is the spirit of gratitude that marks their work. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I think it's hard to understand unless you're in that world. Um, and in different sectors are, are worse than others. Right. But like, I remember my wife, she was teaching, in public school, her, our first two years in Dallas, she was driving down to, to Red Oak and, and just the, like the lunchroom break room of teachers, uh, middle school teachers is just, everyone's complaining. The kids are terrible. Their husbands are terrible. Their drive was terrible. Like everything sucks. And, um, the spirit of like work is, and I know you, you have some questions on this, uh, Dean, but, but work is an as a necessary evil for me to get to the good stuff. It's a it's a um, it it's a burden I have to bear until I'm 65 and can like draw a pension mm-hmm. in Social Security. Um, and and the job that I have that actually provides me that future isn't enjoyable, isn't good enough. It's never enough. There's like the lack of I'm not saying everyone in the world lives this way. Clearly, I'm not trying to generalize that, but I, I, I do think, like in my roles, like I mean, I've worked at Starbucks, I've worked in green, you know, uh, landscaping, I've worked in restaurant world and uh, retail, and and the spirit of like of dissatisfaction and discontentment was consistent in all those jobs. And mm-hmm. for a, for a Christian to be in that space with an overabounding gratitude and contentment is really really countercultural and i think can mm-hmm. have a really huge impact on um on the people next to us mm-hmm. and you know the 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 age old like you know give them a reason to ask you why you know why you're so joyful why you're so i mean that is like there's some truth to that um mm-hmm. and 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 i think the the answer is i'm doing this for the lord man and i'm so i'm so grateful for what he's given me to do Mm-hmm. Um, not doing this primarily for the paycheck. Um, you know, theologically, last thing I'll say, um, and let you guys answer the question as well is, um, work is not strictly for utility. 
work yeah. is not work is not that this is where i think we have to get away from the idea that work i only work because i have to like if i had my bills paid i would just do 100 percent leisure and that is a subhuman way to live life mm -hmm. even in an unfallen world mm -hmm. um but it, work is a, and, it is a very american way to view it yeah. right yeah yeah like if, if i could i would just entertainment and leisure all the time and like yeah. actually that would kill your soul you yeah. know we, we lived uh we lived on a, a hilton head island for a few years and served right. a church there and <laughs> the um <laughs> tell you what the some of the most unhappy people we knew were the the folks that had you know they they can only golf so many rounds they yep. i mean they'd live their whole life so that they could retire to hilton head island and they would come to church and they go, is, is there anything, anything that we can do? We'll, we'll, we'll sweep, we'll clean toilet, we'll do anything. They were right. just desperate to actually find some sort of value back in their life, a value right. add by doing work. Because yeah, that's how I, we're, that's we're I, wired, right? That's a really insightful way of, of, of putting it. Like that, like the value and purpose of a human life entails the work and leisure yeah. balance. And yeah. it's, it's not just for, I mean, it, it's, it's really, really unfortunate that they're, um, it, you know, we, we sit here in really privileged positions where like our work provides for us. There's places where it is a survival mentality, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, God's design would be that that's not the case. And God's yeah. design would be in a just society that you would work enough to provide for yourself but it wouldn't be the only reason you work. Right. Mm. Um, and it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be that way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like it, it's, uh, work, work is not something that we, we ought to think of in just utilitarian terms or just That's because right. we have to terms, like it's part of what we are as humans. Yeah. Well, and I feel like, um, with kind of the monastic tradition and the way that they saw spirituality with Benedict, like doing manual labor was a, was an essential part of human development yep. and not just in the spiritual theological past monastic sense, but like mm -hmm. when it comes to just developing healthy children, mm -hmm. if their whole world is just entertainment and privilege and yeah, exactly. Like it hampers their understanding of what is my place within this family. Yeah, and so when they're little, as you give them chores, as you give them work, as you give them, hard physical work to do and then they see oh this is contributing to the good of the family i have a place here i have things that i'm good at there's things that i can do there's ways that i can help others mm -hmm. it gets the perspective from me 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 and primarily being consumeristic but how can my actions be generative and helpful towards others serving uh -huh. others um, Dude, and my three-year-old my three-year-old is never more well behaved and happy and like joyful than when she's like helping sweep and work in the totally. dirt in the garden and like has something meaningful to do with her body other than like play i mean we do like even though we do like the like very minimal screen time stuff and like we're trying to be intentional about that like there's only so much creating and playing and like unguided like there's got to yeah. be some structured work and like it's clear like even in a child how life-giving that actually mm -hmm. is yeah for her it's Absolutely. play. for her it's, it's actually good. play you know and yeah. like what it, what goes wrong in us that that goes away that it becomes this like this burden you know well and i think it's with kids they don't they don't separate like they don't have like the oh this is i'm off and oh i'm right. working like, like, they're just yeah, like yeah, just always I, hanging know, out. <laughs> I just live here like what right. am i supposed to do 
Right. Well, that's why we introduced 401ks really early in our children. <laughs> Got it. Okay, cool. Yeah, so Roth. If, uh, yeah. <laughs> do the Roth early. Yeah, Max exactly. it out. Yeah. Um, but the well, you do the regular IRA and you convert it, you know, so like you mm -hmm. the lower tax bracket, there's a loophole there. You got to teach oh, them. There you go. <clears throat> but Nathaniel, I really? want to hear a little bit more because I know that you mentioned in the article with both Basel and Benedict, but just how there's this there's this essential understanding and shift that goes from instead of it being a consumeristic tendency, mm -hmm. but to how do I help? How do I serve? Um, and, and, and it was even in the like the example that we literally have in our bodies is you can't just breathe in like ah, you gotta yeah. you gotta breathe out and you can't right. just eat, 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 eat you like there's a yep. rhythm to both the way that your body works the way that the mm -hmm. world works mm -hmm. and so there's both times where you need to receive those things yeah. but then there's also times where you need to give those things and i know like i said nathaniel you you mentioned it, it quite a bit with with both basel and Benedict in your article. So I'd be, I'd be interested to hear kind of what you've processed through. Yeah. Well, so I'll answer that. And then Dean, I, I want to get back to, I, I had a thought on your question as well. So Benedict, interestingly, the only thing in his rule um, in all 72 chapters of it, the only thing that he mentions as explicitly as being monastic, the only thing that he describes as monastic actually is manual labor. He doesn't, he doesn't describe the, the offices as, as monastic. He doesn't describe Explain what you mean by offices for those who don't know. Yeah. So the, the daily office in the Anglican tradition, it would be morning and evening prayer. The, the, uh, the, the also called the canonical hours within the Benedictine world. So like uh, the several times of prayer, seven times of prayer throughout the day. Yeah, exactly. And so they would, they had this like gentle alternation between like, they would awake, they would say their first office together, then they would have breakfast and a time of reading, and then they would pray again together. And then they would go about and do their, whatever tasks they were assigned within the monastery. And they would come back together and they would mm. pray and then back so is that was the aura at labora thing right um that that's why it became sort of like the the clarion call of benedictine spirituality and um and so he didn't he didn't call that monastic interestingly because when we think of like a monastic life and of monks um we think of like oh man they're praying for the life of the world and thank god that they are however <laughs> yeah. that, however that is not that was not what Benedict associated with monasticism. It was manual labor. And so I think that's, that's a very telling thing. And, and he tied that specifically to Paul working with his hands. Mm. Yep. It, was, yeah. it was monastic because it was apostolic. Yeah. And uh, so, and that's that's over and against the, the priestly office where it mm -hmm. was like your work was prayer and like in mm -hmm. the church. And you, right. you had no manual job. And, right. The monks, the monks are doing this manual labor for what? Like, what? What was their contribution? Not only their personal development, but like, what were some of the missional reasons for that? Well, they would have. I mean, if you look historically at what monasticism and and like Benedictine monasticism, I guess in particular in the realm of the the British Isles and and Western Europe, uh, where it spread pretty heavily, they they, they were centers for education. Um, right. They were somewhere that people could go to get uh, medical attention. They were not just secular education, but specifically religious education, which wasn't really separated categorically back then. Um, right. So they were like but they people had to read and write in general. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. monastic life they were they were huge they were huge pillars of the communities that that were 
that would either come to them or that built themselves around them or that they installed themselves into. Um, but then also they were, they were huge, a huge missional presence then mm -hmm. as well. And, yeah. um, and, and without, without that, um, the, the manual labor was sort of a, a worker is worthy of his wages, right? Like the, if, right. if somebody, what Paul said, if, if he works, he eats, if he doesn't work, <laughs> he's not even worthy of his food. So in the Didache, they do the same thing. They're like, if a brother comes in and he starts preaching and he won't work, like, don't trust him. That's a false prophet. Like get him out. <laughs> totally. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think that there's, um, Dean, going back to, to your question uh, mm -hmm. about like, how does the, how does the person on the ground who's not thinking about these things in the way that we're talking about them, how, how do they, how do they see their work as holy and as worthy? And I think the answer is that it's not, it's not understanding that you stumble into. I think the answer is catechesis. It's, it's teaching. Mm -hmm. It's, they have to be, mm -hmm. they have to be given the framework um to see their work in this way and so that's one part of it and i think the other part of it is um having having it um acted out i guess in some sort of way which i, I it comes back to catechesis again so i think my answer ultimately mm -hmm. would be teaching um but but teaching what mm -hmm. i think that that on a sunday morning People have to see, like historically, the coming back to the Eucharist, which in our tradition happens weekly, but in other traditions, maybe it's like once a quarter or once a month or maybe mm -hmm. even once a year or whatever. But for us weekly, we go forward and we receive this consecrated bread and wine. Historically, the bread and the wine was furnished by the community that the right. parish existed inside of. So some yeah. babushka would like, bake bread fresh the night before and then like bring it forward and we did that in our parish for a long time where we had a, a bread baking team and i, I love the babushka it. team actually we called it yeah we called the it the babushka yeah. Yeah. team it, it went Is over that, well that being you Dave? was that i believe yeah. i believe that was you during that was COVID. The, that was yeah. A, yeah the sourdough season that's right yeah. <laughs> hey i i got into sourdough before covid i i do claim that that i was i was on the front end of that curve yeah, he was uh, in the, the arrogant sourdough. I know club. exactly. I was I was like the like uh what, what is it the hipster the hipster sourdoughs were like you've probably never heard of them. Yeah. My starter <laughs> my starter is older than your starter kind of thing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> what a weird brag for. Oh America. yeah, for sure. Yeah. My starter is way older. Yeah. Way, way older. Budget, more sour. Yeah. But the effervescent the, strawberry. The bringing the bringing forward of this of this bread that was baked in the hands of a parishioner and this wine that was either you know bought by or maybe even fermented by somebody in the in the parish it's uh, we I, maybe someone listening hasn't heard this but like we don't we don't bring grains of barley forward and like mm -hmm. uh, and a cluster of grapes mm -hmm. we bring bread yeah. and we bring wine because right bread and wine is the product of human hands it's it's taking yeah. the gifts mm -hmm. of god and ordering it reordering it mm -hmm. so it goes back to the take bless break gift Bashing, thing yeah. right we we've take we've taken these things that god has given to us thanked god for them reordered them 
and then we present them to the church. And so in, in that offering of the bread and the wine to the priest to be consecrated is not just the elements themselves, but the labor that went right. into producing the elements. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so I think that if people can understand that, um, that in a, a Sunday service, that right. when, they, when they go forward and they receive that bread, um, it, was, it was first, it's, I guess, a little harder to see when, it, when everything's like already prepped and ready and, right. and made. Well, but the, I, to, to, help you, a, to help with your point here, Nathaniel, I think for us, it's the, it's the financial contributions. I mean, this is, it, it, what, is yes. it, what it is now is monetary. And it, it's unfortunate that it's like, you know, automatic withdrawal from an elect, it's electronic funds from an electronic bank account. So it has been disembodied in some way. And it kind of just, it disconnects us from what we're really doing. And what you're saying is in a, in an older context, my offerings in the liturgy, we say, we, you know, we thank you, Lord, and we offer you these gifts, sanctify them by your, so we're, these gifts include the bread and wine given by the people and, and the financial contributions sanctify them. So the word, you know, the body and blood is obviously the bread and wine, but like we're sanctifying also and setting apart those gifts that are given by the people that aren't necessarily bread and wine. And right. Cause we, yeah. in this day and age, how many of us are like, you know, like hoeing fields and raising up corn and then taking right. that and giving that to the church. Yeah, right. Like, like this, we, this loaf of bread was a significant financial sacrifice for my family. Like that's not the case in American, you know, suburban culture. Right. Right. Yeah. The fruit, the fruit of our labor for the vast majority of us is our paycheck. It, that, mm -hmm. that is the harvest that we reap after a week or, a, or two weeks or a month of work. And so we right. offer that to people. So people, so I think that, that it, I, the, the level of catechesis, if people can be given a framework for understanding that when they put money in the plate as it comes past, that it's not just like, well, I guess the church needs my money. It's like, no, yeah. this is an act of devotion where I'm, where I'm offering the labor of my, the, 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 time and effort and sweat that I put into this lap, all of the anxieties and all of the difficulties mm. of my work week, I now offer that to God in the form of this like chunk of cash or a check or whatever, mm. and then offer that to God. Um, it, it becomes, mm. it becomes a, a, and the liturgy becomes an even more enriched experience. Um, sure. Yeah. For, for the average person. Well, yeah. Okay. So you've got a, you got a priestly offering happening in the whole room, not just by the one person. Mm -hmm. Well, and then you've got, I think one of the things I've learned when it comes to learning a craft in general is like, sometimes there's the like, I enjoy doing this, and that's why I do it. And sometimes yeah. it's the opposite. It's I do it. And it is in the doing that I grow to love it even more. And so I think when mm -hmm. it comes to sharing those gifts, giving those gifts, it's like, sometimes it's man, I love what the church is doing here. I want to give this I'm really fired up about this new adoption fund that they're starting or these missionaries. Other times it's a, I really love my money and I've really worked really hard for it. That's not where I want my heart to find hope in and find security and mm -hmm. safety. In. And so mm -hmm. as an act of devotion and worship and almost reorientation, the liturgy helps me go. This is in fact where my heart needs to be focused on. This is in fact where I need my heart to take joy and safety in is in Christ, not in me owning the money. Whereas I'm just a steward of this that the Lord gave me to do mm -hmm. well with. Yeah. 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 
Um, uh, hey, I don't know. If we're, are we nearing the uh, finish line here tonight? I, I think, you know, I, so we're, we're about an hour and a half in. Um, I think what I would, would say is I've got a couple of different a couple of different subtopics that I think would make future really good future conversations that um, part of, part of it comes from being some questions that you suggested is work, you know, is work temporary or, or eternal, you know, this is just oh. a temporary, you know, <laughs> just getting into that eschatology talking about like what's coming. Right. And there's, you know, there's, um, you know, not to open the can of worms, but, uh, you know, Irenaeus, Irenaeus saying like in the in the kingdom when he you know establishes his reign on earth like the the speaking of wine the grapevines are going to be so heavy with fruit and the grapes are going to be so big and fruitful they're going to burst with juice and just it's going to be flowing you know this the fruitfulness of the world mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. really tangible ways he he's talking about anyway we can talk about that like in the kingdom does this cease. Or does this what we just talked about? Even though it's not util, there's no utility. Mm -hmm. uh, is it still continuing? I think that's a fun conversation. Yeah. yeah. Well, and um, Irenaeus I, wasn't Irenaeus the author of the Leaf by Nigel? Was that him? <laughs> what? No. <laughs> <laughs> yes. What's the joke? I'm missing the joke. Oh no. We'll we'll, we'll get into it in the okay. is, is work uh, temporal. Okay. Punchline reserve for the next. Yeah. Episode. yeah. So uh, I think added to that, David, um, it would it'd be fun to pursue the uh, the conversation of where beauty intersects with with mm -hmm. work, yeah. and uh, just as kind of an outcome, if you will, of of work that we do, uh, maybe a, a real tangible way of talking about our work with other people and the right. pursuit of beautiful things and 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 even in a in a missional sense James is it James Chung that talked about the different ways generations receive the word of God or receive information about God uh, and our the, in the current generation they they receive the theology and the goodness of God first through beauty right through the three transcend transcendentals is that what you're talking about uh, where it's, it's like it's, truth Truth first, yeah, truth. and then goodness and booty, beauty, booty, not booty. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> not that. That was a different generation. <laughs> that, was, that was the nineties. Yeah, yeah. That's like I'll, a Gen Z thing. That's not. That's a Gen Z thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I'll I'll pull up an article uh, of a presentation he did on that. It was an intervarsity thing on how how millennials uh, perceive and and learn the truth about God and. Yeah. How how former generations did, you know, where, whether we do it cognitively through catechesis or we do it first through beauty and the reception uh, through our senses. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah. what does that have, what does that have to do with crafts that we that we yeah. produce in, as far as beauty or the outcome of a project? What, what does that look like? And right. does, it, does it have something to do with the eternal occupation that, that we might engage our, in, our, in our lives? So that'd be well, fun to add that. I think beauty and craftsmanship touches on like, does it matter if we do good work or not versus bad work? Like you can, you know, is all work equal in this conversation? No, it's not, right? And we, yeah. all, we all know that because no, you put no. product and you expect Yeah, because you can't sell any ugly stuff on Etsy. Well, actually you can, but <laughs> you <not> could. Really. <laughs> Depends on your target I, audience. I did for a while. Yeah, yeah look at you. <laughs> Don't confess that. Those people are out there. Just kidding. Yeah. So it's I've got you know, some, work. some other some other topics, and this is a little bit just like of a teaser, I guess. If people are listening and and you know care to listen to a, a future uh, uh, 
what's our gathering of these four people, but um, how do we, you guys are both doing like trades, but like, how do we talk about mental labor versus manual labor? Um, there's people oh, who are sit- lawyers, uh, people sitting at desks, at design, like there's, there's an element that um, in our day with technology that um, a lot of work is, is mental labor. And um, how is that different? I mean, it's worth pursuing, I think. Yeah. Um, talking different, to- different than merely like there's, there's mental, but then there's, there's disembodied. Um, right, in, right. Sure, in the, sure. um, yeah, but yes, I, I like um, that topic. That'll be well, good. And then like the, 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 the balance between work and leisure and talking about Sabbath and what's the nature of Sabbath. Um, how does, how does Sabbath affect work? Um, there, there's a, the, actually Christianity today, speaking of Christianity today, book of the year was a book on apathy um, by um, overcoming don't, apathy. Don't by get U- it. We don't care. <laughs> overcoming apathy by Uche Inazor and, um, uh, in fact, our former boss JT um, endorsed it. Oh JT wow! Yeah, yeah, pretty cool I didn't on the know back. You could read. That's good. For I didn't even know that. <laughs> <either>. <laughs> I gave him a PhD, so he must be able to read and write. Um, no, yeah, no, JT, uh, JT wrote a book on discipleship that um, has has been has done really well, and he um, yeah endorsed this book. Anyway, um, how does apathy and like how do I? How do I overcome that to care about my work when it's really hard to care about? Right. That's a whole mm-hmm. topic. Um, so uh, yeah, just, just some different um, conversations that we could have, I think in the future, if you guys would be willing to get back together. Um, David, what would that. be some ones you'd, you'd be interested in talking about? I know that there's been some things you've been mulling over. Who did you ask? Nathaniel. Nathaniel. Man, I, I, I've, kind of camped out uh, for a while kind of in the in the where we've been talking today i have given some thought to the eschatology side of things too um i, I won't tip my hand there I'll, I'll save it for that conversation let's go get spicy yeah come on now uh <laughs> i i can't really think of anything else categorically off the top of my head cool well, um i think i think um you know, we can get back together here in a couple of weeks um, yeah. and talk more. But um, thank you so much, guys, for for um, meeting, for talking. Um, it, it's awesome to, to just think about the things of God together and to think about work and what God's made us to do. Um, I'm hopeful that um, that um, and, and not only in our own lives, but in the, in the lives of those that were around that we can uh, help, like Nathaniel say, uh, said, teach um, in this direction and help people have a framework for um, how to think about work, how to think about um, prayer and the service to God, service to our neighbors. And I think it's really good stuff. So anyway, thank you so much uh, for doing that and for, for gathering Absolutely. together. Any final yep. thoughts or, or words? Good work. Good work. Good to be work together. Good. good to be together. All right. Well, thanks guys.